You're listening to the Video Marketing Podcast, helping you go a little more viral every day. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Video Marketing Podcast once again. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm super excited about the show today. Uh, I'm here with a man named Ron Lynch. Uh, Ron's the man behind the man, behind the man, behind the man. Uh, I met Ron in, uh, I met Ron on a, I was going to say on a boat, but it wasn't a boat. I met Ron on a bar floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, I had no idea who this dude was. And we were sitting at a picnic table with Ron across from him. And I was like, who is this dude? He looks a little bit familiar. And uh, we, we got we got to talking. It turned out I'd watched one of his videos before and sort of he started talking about how he's worked with all these big brands. And I was like, okay, who is this dude? Like, what's this guy's deal? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, when I worked with GoPro. And I'm like, okay, hold on. Who am I talking to? Can we back up a little bit? <laughs> and uh, we ended up having a really great conversation. Ron Ron is, a, is, 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 a, is one of the best marketers you'll ever meet. He's also uh, one of the best men that you'll ever meet. Ron has, uh, uh, he, he's been part of over $4 billion in sales for clients uh, direct response marketing, TV, radio, online. He's been around for a while. He's created 300 campaigns over nearly two decades for brands you might have heard of GoPro, Valvoline, J&J, Samsung. Uh, he also runs an online marketing course teaching business owners and agency owners strategic marketing, creative cultivation, copywriting, and ad strategies. This is the mercenary program, I, I, uh, I would assume. You can tell us a little bit more about that later. Uh, he enjoys film, and I may push you to tell me a little bit about your history in film, because I know you have one. Uh, <laughs> avid reader of scientific content, lives in Austin, where I've actually never been. I need to, I need to fix that. Lives with his wife of uh, three decades. I know it looks, it looks absolutely beautiful there. It's starting to get freezing here in Pennsylvania, but beautiful out there. Ron, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm very thrilled to be here, and I really appreciate the kind introduction. Some of that stuff's even true, and I hope that we do some good for your listeners. Yeah, we will. We will. Uh, one of the most fascinating things with me, uh, with 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 what I've heard you speak about before, is, is going through your creative process when putting together one of these ads. So I really want to jump into that. But I think first, if you could just give us a little bit of background about how you got into this whole world and how you you moved into the infomercial world and then and then moved it online. Uh, real quickly, I was. Uh in college and one of my roommates went to an audition for a movie and he said, Hey, do you want to come along? And I went along and I ended up landing a, a role in a movie directed by Robert Altman and ended up with a SAG card, which is something that every actor dreams of. And I literally just walked into it in a day by accident. And so I was able to join the Screen Actors Guild at about 19 or 20 years old and 21 maybe. And then I, uh, was in the Pacific Northwest and was able to, between my day job checking groceries, go uh, be in movies from time to time. They'd let me leave the job and I'd go for a couple weeks at a time and ended up doing about a dozen movies and hanging around as a crew member, as a PA, because it was really fascinating to me to learn how to make films. And it was kind of a, a dream of mine that luckily I was able to fulfill. While I did that, I continued working on, in the grocery store and I eventually worked my way up in the store to be a store director and do operations. So run P&Ls and staffs and deal with unions and real estate and perishables and all of the things that are inside a grocery store. So really a kind of a master's degree in business while I was 
pursuing my hobby of which had become at that point writing films and the transition from being in the grocery store to being in being back in kind of entertainment or infotainment was uh, I had a friend who had an agency that was pitching the George Foreman grill on TV and uh, I was fascinated by what they did. I let them come in the store and rent space to do cooking demos. And I met Sam Perlmutter, who was George Foreman's agent, and sold him a script. And the agency called, and my friend called and said, hey, I heard you sold Sam Perlmutter an option on a script. And said, yeah, it was one of, your, one of the guys that worked at the agency and me. And they uh, said, do you want to come write some infomercials? And I said, absolutely. And I ran from my grocery store job and quit. And, moved into that industry and it's been uh, kind of smooth sailing relatively ever since 20 years ago. And you don't go on any auditions anymore, unfortunately, right? Um, I could be, I could probably be suckered into that at some point. I've been tempted. I've been, I've been tempted. I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll do an impersonation or two if you need it. <laughs> that audition game, man, it's tough. I used to be a theater director for years before I moved into this field. And uh, I, always, I always felt bad for the people I was auditioning. They're so nervous. They're getting up there. Oh, gosh. It's crazy. I can't imagine going back into that world. Of course, I was in theater. So then they'd say, oh, great. I'm hired. Uh, how much does it pay? I'd be like, oh, this is theater. This is free. What, anything? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, in movies, I didn't pay anything either. It was probably a $1,200 paycheck, which was great for me. So it was twice what I was making as a grocery checker. But at the same time, uh, it was the ability to go out there and learn and see how the, how this was done. Was uh, the education, getting paid for the education was great. Yeah. So, 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 so let's jump into this here. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about ideology, not ideology, ideation and execution on the kind of creative in a video ad that's going to actually move people to buy stuff, <laughs> take valuable actions. Um, I think that some people get stuck at that idea generation phase. And I think that some people think that and I'd be very interested to dive into this if I'm not funny or I don't have that gene or whatever it is, uh, I can't engage in this or, or whatever it might be. I'd like to just start in the idea phase. When you're approaching a new project and you're trying to get a handle on what the best way is to start telling this story in a way that's sort of, for lack of a better term, going to end up being conversion based, um, what's the first thing that you do? So I dive into what the product actually does, what, it's, what are the key benefits it delivers to a consumer. And cause that's, where the, that's where the answer to the creative is going to be, is really what are you going to deliver. So I dig into that and I go, okay, uh, and you might not think that you think comedically, but everybody can think in opposites. And that's all comedy is, is thinking in opposite things and conjoining them, forcing things that were never together and linking them. When you link two things in somebody else's brain that aren't connected, it fires off a neural synapse. There's a connection made, and that connection releases serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin, and you laugh, or you're, you're intrigued, or you're repelled. But, but there's a definite, definite emotionally embedded response that's neurochemical when new information is aggregated in the brain. So... When I started, I was fortunate enough to, some of my first shows were with Billy Mays. And Billy Mays was a master at this. He, he worked uh, in the fair circuit forever, bowing crowds and selling things. 
And I'll give you a, for instance, we had a, we had a ladder called the total trolley. That was a flatbed cart that converted into a hand truck that converted into a pull cart that converted into an A-frame step ladder. So I did four things in one. And it was really, it turned out to be a, uh, a ladder for pr primarily women in, in apartments, in homes. Uh, so they could, and we went after the idea of uh, if you have this ladder, you don't need a man. And your husband's lazy and he won't do the chores around the house and the things that you want, but you don't need him. So we took this idea of a ladder and a cart and moved it into the idea of independence. Then once we had gotten to that, that idea that we knew that most of our consumers were going to be female and the idea that was going to be in freedom and independence, then we started going, we need to show the quality of this. So um, some of the things that, uh, and I think I paid Billy $5,000 to sit down for a day. And we would, we sat for, I think, eight hours here, actually in Austin at, at the Hilton Hotel at the airport. And we came up with all the most ridiculous things we could think of to do with this cart. Like, could we get a bear to climb it? Could we get, like, to show how sturdy it was? Like, things that were ridiculous. Could we take four carts and put a car on top of them and then spin the car? Could a, a person move a couch? Could a woman move a couch by herself? We'd flip up the couch, slide the cart under, and then we actually used the host of the show, a guy, as the ballast on the couch to keep the couch in place on the cart, and she mm. pushed an entire couch on the set. So it's this idea of taking things that are extreme, and that makes them thus eye-catching and interesting. You know, people are interested in new information. So that's not particularly funny, but it's particularly, you can see how we took two things that were extremes, said, hey, yeah, you could go up a ladder and just do what everybody else does is change light bulb. But could you take four Cirque du Soleil performers and get them on top of this ladder to do a human sculpture to show how much weight it could bear? That was eye-catching, and we did stuff like that. So I kind of go, what's, what's the riddle we could tell? What's the joke we could tell? For me, that process honestly starts with getting the benefit of the product right and then putting my headphones in without any music on and going for a walk and starting to connect the dots of things from my past or other entertainment I'd, see, I'd seen in my life and connect the unconnectable. So for instance, Cirque du Soleil performers on a stepladder. Well, I'd seen Cirque du Soleil performers do a human sculpture before, but I'd never seen them do it on a stepladder. So taking those two things and putting them together. Does that make sense? It does. It's really interesting. I, I want to get to this. I want to get back to this idea of opposites in a second. Can we go back, though, to this decision that you all made about that this was going to be a product about women's independence? It's kind of one of these things where it's similar to one of these Don Draperisms, right? Where all of a sudden he's like, well, now your brand is going to be this because this is the narrative we're going to create. What I'm sort of interested in is how you get there. How do you get to that point? Is it a mix of how much of it is market research? How much of it is, is creativity? Where does that come from? Well, I, I think it come, in that particular case, it came from the genesis of the invention and what it really did and how it was compact and lightweight. It could go in the trunk of a car. It became... Um, a piece of equipment that was super user friendly and nobody had really marketed um, any type of hardware to the female audience. And we did have male consumers, but it became very, very evident early on that we were right in our guess that um, if you could make this a utilitarian device around the house and it could like, you know, tuck in between your refrigerator and the wall, 
that it, it was definitely a female targeted device and that, that was definitely the audience but it wasn't a huge leap because we know the data shows on in most areas that 70 percent of all consumer goods are purchased by women mm -hmm. and so and so then where did the independence fit into that well what if you if culturally most married households or two-person households have somebody who's responsible in the couple to climb the ladder, to change the bulbs, to move the boxes, to drag the trash out, to do all of these things. And the other person is rendered powerless because mm. they're waiting for that person or there's nagging in the relationship or there's uh, contention in the relationship. And this, uh, this allowed us to deal with the contention in the relationship and say, hey, we're going to remove this. The ladder is representing the contention and we, we get to remove that from the relationship and you have harmony because she can do all of the things or he can do all of the things that, that need to be done without relying on another person. Mm, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So you, you sort of figure that out. Okay, who is this product for? You've got that customer, for lack of a better term, avatar. You've got that avatar all planned out there. And then you say to yourself, okay, so the man is usually maybe the one around the house who might be doing the grunt work. This is a device for women to do the grunt work. So what's the, what's the messaging there? And that's yeah. how we came to independence. Yeah, it is. Cause it, it came to your, it's independence because the opposite is the, is a contentious relationship. Mm, right. So I always kind of look for, um, when I sell a product to somebody or frame a product, I try to go beyond just the, Hey, we're changing. You can use a step ladder to hang a picture, change a light bulb, clean a ceiling fan, or use a hand truck to carry in boxes or out. I go to what's the human character trait? How do I get to be a better person, a better me if I own this? And for, in this case, it was oddly using the idea of women can do these things for themselves and they're happy to do it and capable with the right tool to making the relationship less contentious. So it's removing conflict, which is kind of unusual. Yeah, this is great. I'm like taking notes here. <laughs> I think that we often forget this stuff, although I, I, I do talk about it often, but it's easy to forget that we often think we're, think we're selling products when we're actually selling feelings, <laughs> basically. Yeah, and I, t I tend to try to look for a character trait that I'm selling. Character so trait, interesting. Um, most of us were raised in a world where there were marketing school taught you that you had to have five brand pillars for your brand and you had these you're trying to surround your consumer with this idea of five brand pillars but in the electronic age things move so fast i've moved away from the idea of five brand pillars to one character trait that's like an a merit badge that they get when they interact with one of our brands or companies so gopro is a good example of the merit badge of bravery or adventuresomeness that if you have a GoPro, no matter what your adventure is, boom, that's who you are. That's why you put the sticker on your car is you're telling the world, hey, I might be a skydiver or a surfer or a street skater or a skier or whatever. That's interesting. We, we, had, we had talked about, um, uh, I had Tom Breeze on the podcast a month ago or so, and we talked a lot about status. We talked about how at the end of the day, so much of the psychological reason that people take the actions that they take has to do with the status. And I, and I guess you're sort of expanding on that idea, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's status, but it's also, the word I would use is relevance. Hmm. And what people 
are doing currently, just so, just as a society, what we tend to do is we're codifying our personalities with four or five or six brands. And so you are a Ralph Lauren person who uses a GoPro that drives a Land Rover Discovery, and you start you can start to put to, together kind of the anagram of this hero. Yeah, we're trying to build ourselves into these these hero like characters and these brands help us adopt what element of our version of a hero we are. It's fascinating. That's fascinating stuff. I think it's really important to ask that question. It's a question that I, when I when I first started marketing, I didn't ask that question at all. It was sort of uh, features and benefits marketer. Right. And I feel like we need to, we need to get beyond the features and benefits marketer. Um, Okay, so let's go to let's go to the video side of this. Okay, so we've got so we've got this idea. We've got our avatar in place. I always like to keep everything as practical as possible here. So if we were you, we were doing what you were doing here because I think this is this is a great example. Um, so we've got our avatar in place. We know who we're marketing to. We know what the messaging is. We know what character trait we are uh, we're selling this person. Um, and so now we have to actually figure out how we're going to not just visually represent it, but also how we're going to have some sort of story arc. So what's the bridge uh, between getting from idea to, I guess, script first? So for me, it, it, was, it was kind of simple because in, this, in that day and age of, so in this particular version of this, it was obviously a kind of a, and I don't want to say battle of the sexes, but a comparative of the sexes. Like, how is this relationship going to turn out? So we created a half-hour show for this particular product. And the, the story arc of that half-hour show was we had this do-it-yourself couple. But I omitted a piece of information. And that's one of the things that I do typically to make things interesting is I omit something. And what I omitted from the couple was whether or not they were actually a couple. So there was this immediate sexual tension in the mind of the viewer mm. going, what's the nature of this couple? Because when you see a couple on TV, like you see Chip and Joanna, you know that they're married and they're doing their domestic and their house husband and wife, whatever. But we left that extremely vague. And then we wrote a script that was somewhat flirtatious between these tasks. So there was this comedic tension between all of these tasks that the gal was doing throughout the show. And the man would describe what the device did, but the gal would actually do all of the work through the show, and he became the comedic foil for her. Where I got this idea was from a show that used to be on TV years ago with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard called Moonlighting. And Moonlighting, they, there was, there were, they were a kind of a detective kind of setup. And this is this trope has been done in Hollywood for years and years and years is you have this man and this woman that um, are not personally connected. They're friends, but you want them to be a couple, but they're not. And those shows always get ruined and go off the air after they consummate that relationship. So I went, that's the exact tension I'm going to create in this. I'm going to create a moonlighting tension. And I told both of the actors as they were, you know, preparing to do this, I said, this is what we're going to do here that's going to make this really interesting. In the back of the viewer's mind, they're going to be wondering, have these guys slept together? And we're going to say, we're going to make sure that there's, there's, that just remains a dangling question throughout this show of what is the nature of this relationship. And I want you guys to bring that, that kind of tension into every scene 
whether we're moving a box or lifting something up or hanging a picture on the wall. And then, we're, see, I can see the look on your face. You already see where this is going, where you go, oh, that actually would be an interesting, and the, the show turned out to be the infomercial of the year that year. Mm. Yeah, I think for uh, for our for our gen for our gen uh, for our millennial types, I suppose I don't even know where I fit in now. X, Y, Z, I can't even right. tell. The, I'm I'm the I'm the Pearl Jam generation. That's what I like to say about myself. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's it's like a Jim and Pam sort of thing that was going on there from the office, yeah. right? It's sort of like will they or won't they? Um, exactly. It, so here's my question though. How does that, so if it's more, so, so it's women being empowered and then we have, well, women being sort of a weird way to say it, but it's a, it's a different sort of a device. You would sort of assume that you would put them in a marriage situation, right? Because then you're reversing, like what did you gain from a marketing angle from creating that tension? Two things. One is they had to complete these tasks. Right. And this is something that I tell all of, all of my talent when I do like particularly long form shows, I don't want, it's very easy to try to be interesting. I don't want you to try to be interesting. I want you to be interested. When you have a task to do, I want to be the fly on the wall watching you two play in a sandbox and be interested in what you're doing. Love that. So that's helped set up that tension and removing the framework of a relationship adds more tension to it. So that makes it interesting for the viewer to watch it's, it's like if you go to if you've ever photographed kids if you have any kids or and i have three uh, when you go to the park and your kids are playing and you want to film them and you want to capture that moment on your video camera it was video cameras from my, in my generation now it's phones but if the kids are unaware of you they behave in an interesting fashion if the kids are aware they're being filmed then they start to become rigid and weird and it's no longer like it loses its magic and that, that's the trick. That's, oh, why, yeah. that's why man on the street testimonials have always been so good in marketing is because you don't know what the hell total strangers are going to say. And they usually do. And that's what makes it fascinating is the, the outliers, the, the, the weird things that happen are what make things fascinating to watch because you know, they're true. Absolutely. I, I used to, I used to teach acting and that was the 100% of my job when I was teaching acting. Uh, was basically getting people to stop performing, uh, yeah. stop performing and start doing. I was really interested at the time. I'm 38 now. I was probably 24, 25 when I was involved in this. So it was a while ago, but I was really interested in the work of Meisner. He was an acting teacher who was all about doing. He would say, just do it. Just do yeah. it. Like if you're going to walk across the room, just walk across the freaking room. <laughs> Don't show me you're walking across the room. Um, and uh, I think that that's one of the, I, I always talk about this when I'm coaching people about how to be, like I'm coaching marketers about how to have an on-camera presence or whatever. It's like, I don't care about your presence. I don't care about like what you're doing with your hands. I just want you to like be truthful. Like what's your, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to convince you to do something. Great, convince me to do something. Right, exactly right. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very interesting. Um, so, okay, so, so, so that tension was able to keep people engaged throughout the half an hour, is what you're saying. Yeah, and I think that, that but I think that can be in a 30 second spot or a 60 second spot, you want to create tension. You always want to create tension. That makes people lean in. And tension can be created by comedy, by fear, by familiarity of, I think I know where this is going, and oh my gosh, it's not going there. There's, there's a number of ways to do that, but tension and relief is critical. And so, and so in this specific circumstance, you chose to omit 
a piece of information and that information is what created the tension. Are there other ways that you do this specifically that, that you could share? Um, I would have to kind of analyze one creative at a time because every creative we do has tension. And I'll give you an example. And this is a, a spot that you've seen is a, the breath rock spot. Mm -hmm. Yep. We, we have a, a, we had a spot that went quite viral and millions of people saw it. And the, the frame of the frame of reference was a vi short video ad. The frame of reference was a policeman pulling a woman over in a red convertible, which is kind of a, you know, a normal and mundane idea until we put the ad frame around it that says one breathalyzes cop. Mm. And so you, you're seeing this video in timeline and you're like, woman breathalyzes cop. So there's immediately, we use the word cop. We didn't use policemen because cops are bad. We'd never call a cop a cop. You'd say, yes, officer, yeah, you know, you never say that word to their face, something that they're called behind their back. And cops are, the, the, we associate the, the word with dirty. A, a cop is someone who's, who's not on the up and up. So, Woman breathalyzes cop insinuates that this guy might be drunk, right? So like you gotta click yep. to see how does how does the person who's getting pulled over breathalyze a policeman? And it turns out to be a light whimsical ad about this cop having bad breath and this woman taking a mint device, which is the real thing in the world, and makes him breathalyzes him with her phone and then lets him off with a warning by giving him the product. Mm -hmm. And so at the end, there's this comedic relief of she gives him breath mints because he has bad breath. And she speeds off. And so it's, you know, 15 second version, a 30 second version. It's cute, but you, you get the idea of, oh, now I know what this product is. And I also know that the brand is whimsical and they're taking an, a spin on bad breath. that's going to be fun. Mm. Yeah. What I'm hearing as a through line here, which is interesting because it kind of goes back to the opposites point that we had before is I'm, I'm seeing a thread of expectations subverted. You would sort of have an expectation for one specific thing. And I guess you have to have the mindfulness to know what that expectation is going to be and then purposefully subverting it. Would you say that that's somewhat accurate? Yeah, I, I think that like, if, if and I'll, I'll tell you how those things come to my mind. You just take anything in the world that you know that there are, there's a rule around. For instance, people jumping out of a plane. If I, if I shot a commercial with people jumping out of the plane, we've all seen people jump out of the plane, they spread their wings, they fly, and the plane leaves. Now, if I were to take that idea to make an interesting creative, I might have the people jump out of the plane and have the plane go away, but the people are stuck in the air, and the plane is actually going out into space, that losing the weight made the plane go out into space, and the people won't come to Earth, and they don't know why. Mm. So just, and you can do that with anything is go, what's the physical rule? What's the paradigm and then break it. This is the paradigm of, we have all had uh, been to a birthday party where someone has swapped the candles with the candles that won't blow out. Right. That's what that is. The, the premise is you blow a candle, the candle goes out. Now we get somebody and we, we, we put the candles in front of them and they blow and blow and blow and the candles don't go out. And it's funny because it, it, it tweaks our expectations. The same idea of an exploding golf ball. You swap your buddy's golf ball out on the driving mat and he hits an exploding golf ball and everybody gets a good laugh at it. It's changing the expectation of life. What I love about articulating it this way is because it makes me, it, it gives me hope for the non-super comedic. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a really simple screenplay device that's used in, in writing movies is if you get stuck writing a movie 
and you're at a point in the story where you just don't know what to do and it seems boring, you go, what definitely wouldn't happen? Then write that. Hmm. I like that. I like that. It's it's funny. I had one of the very first podcasts I had one of my uh, one of my friends on. He was my senior producer when I was running stuff at New York Magazine. And he was like the, one of the funniest video producers ever. And uh, he wasn't as you know, he, he, he didn't he, he wasn't able to articulate as clearly as you at the time about how he was how he made the funny that he made. And what we drilled down on it during the course of the conversation was, oh, it's opposites. One of our most viral videos that we made together was Eric Andre. Do you know Eric Andre? We put Eric Andre, the comedian, uh, like sort of like he's very like down to earth, like whatever. We, we made it. We basically sent him around New York City critiquing public art. And it was just opposites. Oh, that's yeah. 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 And, and it's really that's the thread. There's, there's a piece of this, and, I, and you'll hear me in other talks that I do and where we show examples of things, of the, the, this is also the same trick of horror films. The difference between a horror film and a comedy is just the soundtrack. And I, I, I'll give you an example here of how, like, you said, hey, Ron, go, go write a movie that could be either a comedy or a scary movie. Okay, the, in the first six pages, we're gonna discover that we're at a wedding and the wedding is between a woman and her second husband. Her previous husband died five years before. And we see their wedding, we see their honeymoon, and then they finally make it home to their house a week after the honeymoon and we're on page five and maybe at the top of page six, there, there's a knock at the door and it's her first husband. So now this is either gonna be a comedy or it's a horror show. This guy's, it's going to be a version of Ghost. This guy came back from the dead or this guy faked his own death and is back. And now we got to deal with the relationship. So you have two paths to go, but it is you, when you clearly plant the flag that her husband's dead, you accepted the framework. Then you go five pages in and you break the framework. I love this because it feels like a tool. You know, it feels like a tool that we can sort of all use. It absolutely is. And if you, the, 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 thing that I hear all the time that is just dead wrong is people say, I'm not creative. Right. Really? That's not just not true. Run out, get locked in your house for four or five days <clears throat> because of a snowstorm. You're going to get real creative about what you eat. Right. Right. You just have to force yourself into those situations. Almost similar to the way that you're forcing these, these different forces to come together in the fiction. You know, you're, they're coming together. And, and when, they, when they come to that point, they're both boiling to 400 degrees. Something's going to give. Yeah. And that's why creativity comes from constraint and inside a box. You have to put things into constraint and then go, okay, now how do we accept escape the, the constraint. And, and so, so let's go a little bit deeper into the actual imagery within some of these. There, there's a moment I'll never forget from the first talk I ever saw you give. No, not the first, the second, if you count things that I've seen online. Um, but I just, I'll, I'll never forget the imagery when you were talking about a, uh, the Samsung ad that you did with the, was it like a Roomba type device? It was, right? It was like a vacuum. It's, yeah, Samsung PowerBot robot. Right, vacuum. right, right. It was the uh, and uh, and the first image, I believe, or something, is a baby's foot or something like that. And uh, <laughs> we watched it, whatever. And then you were like, "Does this anything look familiar about this to you?" And you know, I'm of the Pearl Jam era, so this is perfect for me, as we discussed. Uh, you're like, "Does that look anything like the State Puff Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters?" And I'm saying to myself, "Oh, damn!" But I never would have thought that. And like. 
I actually talk about this a lot, about how a lot of what we're doing is working on the subconscious, not the conscious, because our conscious minds don't have the space or the time to make decisions about what things are. We have to go to the language of the heart, the mind, the body, right? So tell me about that moment and sort of how, how, how that basically is a microcosm of other things that you do when you're piecing these pieces together. Well, I, I think when I, that, that's when I get to scripting. Like, um, yeah, when I script, I generally, and this is, goes for writing screenplays, uh, for me, a window appears. And I don't even feel like I'm writing. I feel like I'm just taking dictation from what I see. And I write that, I write down the, the, the verbiage, and then I write down the, the imagery second. Um, so I, I got to get the pitch right. I know that the, the, the sales argument, the copy has got to be right. So once I write that copy, then I start to picture what I see that would happen there. And oftentimes I will tap into, I'm going to say the zeitgeist, things that I know that are in the consumer's brain. Um, I, I do a lot of talks. I don't know if I did this in Fiji, but I might have. I often walk out on stage because, you know, I, I get a very similar introduction to what you just gave me. And so I want to do something that's disjunctive from that. And so I'll walk out on stage and I will scream, shot through the heart and you're to blame. And then I'll point at the audience and everybody goes, you give love a bad name. Mm -hmm. And everybody laughs because it's awkward. And the reason people join in and sing is because they don't want me to be left hanging. There's empathy. People naturally have empathy and they would hate to feel like a bad audience if the person, I'm sure they think when I do it, what is this idiot doing? but they're not going to punish me because they just met me. So they, they sign up and enroll and do this thing. Well, it's a, it's a deep psychological manipulation on my part because I know that I've got them. But the thing that happens once we do that, I make everybody you know, giggles and I say, okay, now I wanna make something really clear. There's a whole bunch of stuff stored in your brain that I'm aware of as an advertiser. And this is your job as an advertiser is to be able to readily identify things that rapidly and get people to engage with stuff that's already stored in their head. It's not necessarily about new, new, new. It's about familiar. We're, our are sorting to keep information out. You're hit with 40,000, 60,000 marketing messages a week and your brain's like, whoa, stop. What's about me? What's about, what's re relevant to me? So it's looking for relevance. So when it sees something that's familiar, that's already inside the storage, it's already when it goes and it opens up that file for Ghostbusters or Bon Jovi or whatever that is. And they go, and your brain forces you to lean in and listen to the next thing that happens to say, oh, is this germane to the thing that I have in storage already? Is this part of that? It's why I start most creatives with a question because your brain hates an open loop and can't not answer a question. Mm. How tall are you? That, your brain just answered it, right? You didn't say it out loud, but you were like, oh, I'm five, I'm six, I'm, you can't not. Right, right. So when, when you say identifying those things, like you have to be rapid fire at identifying those things, what do you mean specifically? So I wanna construct a story that has familiarity to you. So when I picture a story, I frankly use my processor to steal from all of the social content and media movies and filmography and books that I've ever seen. And when you think of the iconic advertisements that you've seen, they, they do that same thing. Like Geico's ads about songs where there's the, the clips in them, they're taking, or, or the, 
uh, or mayhem for Allstate. You see these things that are familiar to you from films or from other things, and they're grabbing them and, and making them relevant as part of their advertising. And um, Steve Jobs did that with his famous 1984 ad. Is he? gave you this feeling for Apple of, oh my gosh, this is a, a version of the, the book in 1984. There, there's, there's this totalitarian, someone's gonna break, it, like he took that storyline and made one of the most famous ads ever made. I it's 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 really interesting to hear to hear you talking about it. I talk about empathy ad nauseum. It's 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 the title of my book is producing empathy. I'm obsessed with it, but I completely talk about it differently than you do. And I love it because what you're talking about is plucking relevance. And I've never really heard it talked about that way. It's really interesting. Um, and it sort of goes very much into what I often talk about, which is uh, how it just makes you feel this emotion that urges you to take some sort of action. It, it's very interesting, but you do have to start with that relevance. Well, as an advertiser or a marketer or a product owner, if you are involved with a product that doesn't actually do good for the end user, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Because you want to have a business or an advertising modicum that's that's successful. Well, success is you can only start the ball to success rolling as an advertiser. It's carried forward by your customers. What makes things wildly successful is them being completely satisfied with what you've sold them so that they go and talk about it. And the only way to do that, as far as I know, is to get so empathetically attached to the problem. And you go, what is the real problem that we're solving for people? So it may sound trite to say I'm solving relationships with a stepladder, but I'm solving relationships with a stepladder. That's the actual problem. Um, it's the, the, the relationship may be dysfunctional and, and power's stilted and there's this contention. And if I can say, hey, I understand what it's like. Your spouse is busy. You don't want to bug them. They say they'll do things. You know, like they say, if there's there's no reason to tell a man to do something five times if you've told him once, because it could be next July before it happens. And everybody kind of knows that. And nobody wants to be the nag, and no one wants to be nagged. So if I can remove that empathetically from the relationship, I've helped them. Now I'd better be able to deliver with this product. Right, right. Uh, very, 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 very interesting stuff. Um, okay, so we've got the we've got the avatar. We know what the problem is. We know what we're solving. We move on, and and we've uh, we've started to pluck relevance. We've said, okay, well, we know the we we know who this person is. So let's think about what they're interested in, what makes them tick, uh, based on who they are. And so uh, we've written the script. We've built tension into it somehow. How do we move on to actually executing this, like making this a reality? Well, um, for me, fortunately, I've you know, got years of experience in, in creating films, so I hire a line producer and, and do this. But before we get to that step, Matt, I think that there's something important, and this is the distinction between being able to build a brand and selling a product. Before I would take the next step, I would find three more customer verticals or two more customer verticals, and I would duplicate this process precisely for those verticals, because you may have nine benefits in your product, or 20 features, but people can only hold about three and you usually have multiple audiences. So I try to create multiple creatives that fit each one of those avatars that are covered by the same brand message. 
So if you're a sports fisherman and you see GoPro on the sports fishing network, you still know that the premises be a hero. I can put my stuff on social media. If you see skiing, it's still be a hero. And I put my stuff on social media. If it's um, be a better grandpa, be a hero. It's me and my grandson on in an ATV. No, I don't have a grandson. But you get the, the point that there's this brand arc that connects all of those verticals. That's a, it's a larger USP and all of these smaller problems and empathetic solutions come underneath that brand vertical. So when they bump into me as, a, as an advertiser in separate channels, they know it's the same company. Mm. So, so, then, so you do do this for each, for each company. You'll go and you'll look at multiple avatars and you'll build the different creatives for them. You have to because that's the only way you get to efficient media eventually. Media is so expensive. You're, you're, you have to have a very sharp point on your spare for each one of those customers. And you have to think enough about them personally to want to sell to them personally. And sometimes you have different offers between them too. We've seen that. Proactive is a good example of that where Proactive has uh, a, a 1995, a $29.95, and a $39 offer depending upon who the, the consumer avatar is. Same product, same solution, three different customers. So what's the goal in, well, let's, let's actually move back. How do we, so a, a lot of what we're talking about is sort of in the infomercial world. Oh, at the same time, it's, it's all translatable to online, but if we could get more specific, is there anything specifically about people's behavior in social media feeds, YouTube, wherever they're going to consume this content that would make you think about specific pieces of it and, and, and how to structure them? Um, fortunately you can put things online that you can't put on television. So I would push the envelope more online that, um, and I mean that both from a dramatic standpoint, attention standpoint, and a comedic standpoint, whichever path I took to, to encourage, uh, the commenting and sharing in social media. It's, it's the, it's, that's when things get, when things get really wild is when they get shared. So um, go ahead and be really wild online. You can, you can afford to be. Um, and on television, it's, you're, you're going to have to play a, a little closer inside the lines. You can do brand damage real quickly. And the nice thing about online is you can really target a vertical and uh, you, you may not run into all of your customers. I've often heard you talk a lot before about retargeting too because you have specific creatives to where people are at different stages in the sales funnel, right? Yeah, and we rely on third-party uh, um, recommendations, all kinds of stuff. But there's a – if you actually took the, a 30-minute infomercial and broke it down for what it is, there are kind of three segments of Act 1 and Act 2 and Act 3. And if you take Act 1 and you broke it apart into all of its parts, you'd come up with an ad campaign for an online campaign. Because the first part is, hey, do you have this problem? There's a new solution. Take a look. And the second part is in animation. Hey, here's the, here's the problem in an animated form. Suspend your disbelief. Here's a cartoon that shows you how we're the unique solution before I even see you in the real world. And I see you in the real world. Ad number three, here's the real product. Now, now I've got some information on it. Ad number four, um, testimonials. So, the, so then you come to a section where you have testimonials and you hear maybe three or four consumers that have experienced, maybe one or two experts that say, yeah, this is what you're being told is true. The difference then between online 
and television is my next ad to them will probably be a carousel or shopping ad or an enter to win a contest because I want people to come in and, and really mentally adopt and want the product so bad they enter to win one for free. Because once you've entered to win something for free, you start to picture yourself with it in your life, which makes you a customer without a product. Mm. I always value these types of conversations besides the fact that I just love talking with you because it's always a pleasure and I always learn so much, but, but also because it's just a reminder that in the marketing world, we're just constantly served tactic after tactic. When at the end of the day, these psychological principles of what make humans do things is really the whole ball game. Yeah. We're either avoiding pain or pursuing a hope period. Period. Right. That's, right. That's and, 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 and if you're having trouble marketing to either of those things, you probably don't have a great offer. <laughs> yeah, you don't have anything, you know, like it's, um, the Irish didn't come to, to America because they wanted to be here. They're escaping the potato famine. Right. 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 <laughs> now people come here because they want to come here. Right. Right. You know, it's, so it's, it's, there's, there's pain, there's a fleeing pain or there's attracted to hope. I promise. Ron, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. This was a fascinating conversation. I think that we gave people a lot of, including me, I was taking notes the whole time about tools that I can use as somebody who personally is writing ads daily. Um, it's, it's, it's so nice to be able to get some tools in my toolbox. And I'm, I'm certainly somebody who often says, okay, I'm not funny. Uh, but but I'm, I'm, I say I'm creative, but I'm not funny. But it's also probably a limiting belief. And I just need more of a toolbox. <laughs> well, I'd say, say to anybody who thinks they're not funny, Go stand in front of the mirror naked. Because <laughs> everybody looks funny like that. A good note to end on. Thank you so much, Ron. Ron, where can we find out more about your stuff? Well, you know, you could go to Gumroad, which is the site that hosts the Marketing Mercenary, and just search the Marketing Mercenary on Gumroad. If you're interested in taking a 13-week course where I teach you how to think like me and people that think like me, and uh, we have tons of graduates that are out there generating all kinds of revenue and sales. And that's one of the nicer things about the course. It's a course, not unlike our conversation, where you learn how to actually implement things. And the course itself is a process for people to immediately implement and gain new clients through the education process and have tools in their hand that they can show the client and build quality campaigns. So uh, we, we've really done a pretty good job of proving out that this works, that you can teach somebody how to do this and grow their revenue while they're growing their skill set. So the Marketing Mercy at Gumroad, um, you can visit me and say hi at our Big Baby Agency Facebook page if you want. And uh, there's, there's always plenty of interesting video content and tutorials and things on that page as well. Highly recommend it. One, once I started to consume Ron's stuff, I couldn't, couldn't get enough. Uh, I just didn't know it was you when we met. I was like, oh, like 30 minutes into the conversation, I was like, oh, you're the pizza guy. Oh, yeah, that was smart. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll maybe I should link to that in the show notes. I will link to that in the show. notes. I'm, I'm sure I can dig it up. I'm sure it's public here on Facebook. Um, it actually goes through it's at the top of our it's at the top of our page. And if people go through there, there is a funnel there to go through and get a blank creative and strategic brief, which is useful for folks as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thanks again so much, Ron. And thanks you all for, uh, for being here. If you got value today, please feel free to give us a review. And looking forward to seeing you again next week.